0: Welcome to Hispanic Marketing and Public Relations, HispanicMPR.com. This is Elena DelVal, and my guest is Lucas Puente, who is economist at Thumbtack. Thanks for having me. Today we will discuss the 2017 Thumbtack Small Business Friendliness Survey. Lucas studies Thumbtack's marketplace dynamics and the policy changes facing small service businesses. Passionate about using data to better understand the American economy, Lucas's previous research topics include decision-making at the Federal Reserve and the role of technology in the contemporary labor market. He has a master's degree and Ph.D. from Stanford University and is a graduate of the University of Georgia. Lucas, welcome.
1: Great to be with you today.
0: So, Thumbtack, which is a business services company, if I understand correctly, recently released a survey of small business friendliness. Before we get into the survey, let's just very quickly talk about what Thumbtack does, which is it, it sort of provides a forum for small business services. Why not I let you explain it?
1: Sure. So Thumbtack is a local services marketplace. So in essence, we connect consumers with local service professionals across a variety of industries. So everything from plumbers to lawyers to personal trainers to DJs to general contractors, any sort of local service that you can imagine, you can find it on Thumbtack. Uh, and we are all across the country. We're in every county in the United States. Uh, and so, any any sort of need you might have in terms of services, regardless of where you are or what you might need, you can use Thumbtack to find as a consumer.
0: Is it a place where you actually find the service providers, uh, sort of like an Angie's list where they have reviews of service providers? Is it uh, do you actually hire the service providers there?
1: Yeah, so it's a combination of a directory model and a two-sided marketplace like, for example, Uber is. So in other words, what we do is consumers come to our site and they put in a simple request, let's say a DJ for a wedding, and uh, they fill out a brief questionnaire about their specific needs, when their event is, what type of music they want to listen to, etc. cetera. Uh, and then we connect consumer to DJs in the area that are qualified and available for that particular event or project. So you're not gonna have to make tens or dozens of phone calls to find a DJ that actually does have availability for that particular night. We kind of do that back-end legwork for you, Um, but you're not matched one-to-one with a DJ in this example. Uh, Instead, uh, you are presented with up to five choices. So uh, the consumer can make the final decision about which DJ is best for their project based on uh, prices because all the professionals set their own prices. Um, or maybe they want to optimize on a different dimension, like, for example, experience or reviews. So you could choose the cheapest DJ or maybe the DJ with the highest reviews, etc.
0: Does Thumbtack do any kind of vetting, or is it just someone who goes onto your website and places a listing, and you're just a platform?
1: So we are kind of a hybrid model. These are these are, the professionals on the site are all representing themselves. They aren't Thumbtack employees. Like I said, they can set their own prices. They also have full discretion over which consumers to respond to and. Uh, where and when to uh, charge for their services. So we're not making them um, making them fulfill any particular request. They are um, 100% representing themselves. Uh, in terms of uh, what we do is we provide consumers with the relevant information. Um, professionals can complete background checks and uh, use that to verify their identity and and show consumers that. Um, they have a, a clean history, so to speak, um, and, when, and when it's relevant, depending on the occupation, also present information about their occupational licensing. You know, so, for example, if you're a lawyer, we can um, give you a badge to display your uh, bar identification.
0: Why would someone go to SumTac if, if you're not doing any kind of vetting, as opposed to doing a search online or the equivalent of the old-fashioned yellow pages
1: yeah, so we we help consumers in two ways. First of all, we have a, a one one thing that we have is a directory type information. So all the professionals on our site have information about their background, like I just mentioned, um, their licensing information, but then also previous reviews from previous customers. So a new potential customer can see um, whether or not a DJ has had positive experiences with his or her previous clients, Um, and we have, you know, opportunity for those people to post photos and videos and other multimedia assets so they can get a really uh, holistic view of that person's experience and portfolio. Um, In addition to that, we help, like I said, do some of the legwork for the consumer. So since we ask a few brief questions to the consumer on the front end, um, we help filter out people who aren't available or aren't qualified. So like I said in my previous example, if you need a DJ for a wedding, it's gonna be on a specific date. And if you find a great DJ, but he or she is unavailable for that date, then you don't really need to hear from them. Uh, so we're gonna help make sure you're only hearing from people that are qualified and eligible and available for your specific uh, needs. So that kinda helps filter out some of the search uh, searching process that would normally, uh, take the consumer up to uh, an hour or even more.
0: I think you had told me during a prior conversation that you have about a quarter million businesses that are in Thumbtack listing their services. Is that right?
1: That's right, yeah. So um, every quarter we have a little over 250,000 active small businesses using our site to find new clients and new customers and, and grow their businesses. Um, we are, like I said, in all 50 states as well. So um, we are uh, far more than some sort of coastal platform. We are basically wherever people live. We are facilitating um, interactions between service providers and consumers.
0: So it's these service providers who are on your website who responded to the 2017 Thumbtack Small Business Friendliness Survey that we're going to discuss. Is that right?
1: That's, exa- that's exactly right.
0: How did the survey come about
1: so the survey this is actually the sixth year we've run it Uh, so we have some nice historical data to compare results year over year and we've run this survey for so long because one of the most important things that we've discovered is that starting a small business isn't just as simple as finding customers it's dealing with things like registering your business acquiring an occupational license uh, dealing with uh, government regulations involving health and safety and zoning and what have you so we really wanted to get to the bottom of what are the policy constraints and opportunities that can either help or hurt small businesses and therefore get that once we get that information we can use that to inform policymakers how they can empower small businesses in their community because everybody uh, in the policy community regardless of Uh, their partisan identification, wants to help small business. This is one of the unique issues in modern American politics that unites both Democrats and Republicans. You know, everybody wants to help small businesses, and it's just a matter of how. And so we are really passionate about using our survey data to help inform that conversation and make sure policymakers can make the right types of decisions when it comes to uh, improving local policy environments.
0: Lucas, for purposes of the discussion and the Thumbtack, how do you define a small business?
1: Great question. Um, so the government, the SBA, defined it as under 500 employees, which is actually pretty large if you think about it. For us, the uh, typical Thumbtack business has fewer than five employees. So these truly are the small businesses that you think of when you, um, when you imagine uh, – a small business. So uh, usually it's the owner-operator who's actually doing a lot of the work, and then they have a few support employees either helping them do the actual work or also potentially helping them with the back office uh, task like scheduling, accounting, invoicing, etc.
0: So let's talk about your findings. You had about thirteen thousand business owners who responded to your survey. Is that right?
1: Correct. Mm-hmm.
0: So what did they say?
1: So uh, we can derive two types of insights from this year's results. Um, first, because we have such a wide diversity of locations represented, uh, including all 50 states, we can evaluate and rank all 50 states based on how the small business owners that we heard from say that the state is in terms of small business friendliness. So it's a pretty simple evaluation. If they're friendly towards small businesses and they get high ratings, we give them higher grades. And conversely, if they got lower evaluations, and the business owners in that state said that the state government wasn't particularly friendly to small businesses, then they get lower grades and lower ratings. And we can do the same thing for cities. So um, in addition to ranking all 50 states, we're able to rank 80 cities as well. So we can talk about where the best places uh, for small businesses are. Uh, in the country uh, based on this really rich survey data. Uh, in addition to the ranking of cities and states, we can sort of zoom out and talk about the bigger picture of what cities and states can do to improve their business climate um, for current and aspiring small business owners. Uh, and so this year we found that the most important thing that these local and city uh, local and state governments can do, is streamline regulations so that's pretty simple it basically means make the rules of the road very easy to understand and easy to follow if those conditions are met then it's a lot easier to start and grow a small business when the rules governing things like zoning um, labor law licensing uh, environmental rules etc when those are very complex very hard to understand it makes it really difficult to actually get a business off the ground, or even grow a business.
0: How did you select the 80 cities? For example, I'm looking at the survey page, which is on your website, and you list popular cities in the United States. How, mm-hmm. how did you narrow that down? Was it by the number of people in the city, or was it, were there other criteria that you used?
1: yeah so it's based on sample size. so we are only able to assign ranks and grades to cities in which we see in which we received an adequate sample size. and so this year we were fortunate to receive um, sample size that was adequate enough to grade these eighty cities. Um, and so it's not to say that we didn't receive responses from other cities. it's just that we didn't receive enough of them. Um, to actually assign a meaningful grade just because of sample size considerations. Um,
0: What were the bottom worst, let's say, 10 cities that were least friendly to small businesses? Where were those places, either states or cities, that were the least friendly to small businesses?
1: Yeah, so – the least friendly this city, uh, least friendly city this year, um twenty seventeen, um was Honolulu, Hawaii, that they received the worst evaluations from the small business owners there. Um and then rounding they received an F grade based on that. And then um the other grade that received an F were Greensboro, North Carolina and Rochester, New York. Um those cities also had particularly low evaluations from the small business owners there. Um, and then in the other the other cities in the top ten include Birmingham, Alabama, New York City, Detroit, Michigan, Camden, New Jersey, Hartford, Connecticut, uh, Cape Coral, Florida, Providence, Rhode Island, and Albuquerque, New Mexico.
0: When you say top ten, you mean the top ten least friendly.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So really, you could say bottom ten.
0: Were there commonalities in terms of the reasons that they were least friendly?
1: Yeah, the most common thing that uh, kind of unifies these bottom performing cities is just a failure to make uh, make regulations easy to understand, uh, particularly those around licensing, permitting, and labor laws. So the small business owners in those bottom ten cities that I just mentioned, were frequently complaining about how, how difficult it is uh, to understand the laws around um, things like licensing and permitting, uh, and then also that those laws weren't necessarily consistently enforced. So the sort of the worst possible outcome is when you have really complex laws that aren't straightforward, and then they aren't consistently enforced. That's really frustrating for the small business owners that we heard from this year.
0: Did it vary by type of business in other words were there places that were least friendly for one kind of business but less so for others or was the lack of friendliness sort of across the board
1: so it's pretty common that if one type of business is frustrated with the local business climate uh, then another small business, even if they're in a different industry, then they'll also probably be frustrated because a lot of the main policy issues around licensing uh, and taxes and government websites, those affect all businesses regardless of which industry they're in. Uh, Now, having said that, there are certain uh, rules or regulations that are very specific to certain industries, Um, like, for example environmental rules only affect some businesses. So uh, if you're, um, let's say, a music teacher um, or uh, a wedding DJ, you're not going to be particularly affected by environmental rules. And so if the city has environmental rules that aren't particularly friendly to small businesses. That's not going to affect your business in a very meaningful way. Um, conversely, if you are um, let's say, a general contractor and there are lots of environmental impact reports that you have to comply with to actually get a, a permit for a new, uh, new construction, and that is going to be a big factor in, in your cost of doing business. Um, and so to kind of shed some color on that in terms of examples, um, Baltimore, Maryland, is a, is a case where um, they did particularly poorly on some of the industry-specific uh, regulations, like I mentioned, environmental regulations, also zoning. They received an F on both of those.
0: Did it matter in terms of the degree of friendliness whether someone was a landscaper versus a providing cleaning services or a beautician in terms of the venue, the cities or states, and their degree of friendliness?
1: Generally not. And that's because the most important issues for small businesses uh, kind of unify business owners from across all industries. And that's particularly true when you think about getting permits and licenses. Uh, Everybody is going to have to go through the process of getting and maintaining a business license. It's also very common for occupational licenses to be part of the routine for small business owners in the service industry. Uh, And so if those types of things are particularly difficult to comply with, uh, then it's going to make the overall business climate um, very tricky and, and not particularly friendly to small business owners. Now, having said that, there are some policy issues that are fairly industry specific, uh, and may affect small business owners disproportionately in certain industries. So, for example, uh, a zoning, zoning laws and environmental law, laws uh, have a, a large impact on home improvement professionals, especially general contractors. So if you're trying to acquire a permit for new residential construction, um, and environmental laws are very stringent in your community. You might have to jump through a lot of hoops to make sure that you are uh, complying with the the rules that are on the book. And that raises the cost of doing business. It makes it more difficult to actually uh, engage in new construction, let's say. Similarly with, with zoning laws, if uh, land use regulations are particularly uh, complex, then it makes it harder to, to make sure you can actually build uh, new construction where you want to do that. Um, and so I'll give you an example of a city that um, – has been less than successful in those two things, but still manages to have close to an average business climate overall, and that's mm-hmm. Baltimore, Maryland. Um, on both environmental rules and zoning laws, uh, Baltimore received an F grade, but since those uh, are relatively specific to people in the home improvement industry, um, they still Baltimore was still able to get a C grade overall. Um, so if it kind of goes to show if, Uh, Zoning and environmental rules were affecting more small business owners that would have received an even lower grade than the C that they did receive.
0: What else did you find in the survey, perhaps this year, that is salient as compared to other years or that was perhaps unexpected?
1: One of the most interesting findings from this year's study is the frustrations that we heard from small business owners with regards to their bigger counterparts. And to kind of unpack that, it was really common this year, surprisingly common actually, that um, the small business owners we heard from were frustrated that uh, their local mayors and governors uh, weren't prioritizing what they needed in terms of policy. They weren't focusing on um, their core policy issues like regulation, uh, training programs, modernizing government websites, but instead they were focusing on these uh, big corporations coming into their communities like, for example, Foxconn coming to Wisconsin uh, or trying to attract Amazon's new HQ2, uh, and they were doing that through tax breaks. Um, And those were particularly targeted towards these big corporations. And so it was interesting to us that um, small businesses were not really happy with that. What they were saying is these policymakers need to stop focusing on um, these giant corporations that are being constantly shuffled around the map, so to speak, and instead focus on um, the small businesses that are already in their backyard and um, these small businesses really represent the backbone of the local economies. If you look back over the past decade in the American economy, uh, almost all uh, net new jobs are created by new small businesses, not large businesses or incumbent businesses. So really, if you're thinking about how to grow the labor market in your community, it's through entrepreneurship and by creating small businesses. It's not by um, attracting some giant corporation that may or may not stay there for the long term.
0: Tell us a little bit more about that, Lucas. A lot of people think that when you have a, say, for example, a box store opening in your neighborhood, one of the big retailers, that is a big driver of jobs. And most people, I would venture to say, don't think of small businesses as being the generator of new jobs. What is the source of that data? Can you have any, maybe some numbers that you can share with us or percentages?
1: Absolutely. So if you go back to 1990, um, big businesses have actually lost 4 million jobs on net. And then conversely, small businesses have actually created 8 million jobs. So that's a pretty disproportionate impact that small businesses are having in terms of job creation. Um, And if you look at the latest year yearly data back from 2013, um, the census reports that small businesses have created 1.1 million jobs, net new jobs, um, in that year alone. So clearly, small businesses are really an economic uh, engine in terms of job creation and job growth, much more so than they often get credit for, because like you said, oftentimes the perception is that these big box retailers or big corporations come in and and do a lot of job creation. And it's not to say that's not true. Um, You know, clearly there are instances in which uh, corporations come in and open up a new store or new headquarters and they certainly create jobs. But you have to think about the big picture uh, and what's really changing on net. And that's where small businesses have uh, the biggest bang. Um, And so the government data here from the census is pretty clear that small businesses Uh, particularly new small businesses, are doing the lion's share of job creation in the contemporary labor market.
0: And I know the next objection that's going to arise in people's minds, and that is that most small businesses don't survive in the long term. So is the creation of jobs on the part of businesses that have a low likelihood of surviving in the long term really meaningful?
1: Uh, Yes, it is. So it's important to think about um, business sustainability and longevity. And certainly not all small businesses stay around for the long haul, but many of them do. Uh, And uh, what's really important in terms of creating the American economy that we all want is business dynamism. So Uh when businesses are created, um, that is the most important factor in creating long-term productivity growth and innovation um, that is really central to uh, sustainable and inclusive economic growth. And small businesses are uh, particularly successful when it comes to productivity enhancements and growth. Again, it kind of defies stereotypes a little bit, but the research is pretty clear that small businesses, not big businesses, are the ones that are doing the most in terms of productivity enhancements. Um, And so if you do have some small businesses that fail, that's to be expected um, in terms of just the bigger picture. But once you kind of zoom out, you can see that those that do make it have this huge disproportionate impact. Uh, And that's really central to the long-term job creation that we're seeing.
0: And we do, of course, hear that creativity is lost as the the larger the company, the less creative it becomes because of the characteristics themselves of large businesses that are less likely to foment creativity. Are you seeing some of that in your findings?
1: The interesting thing with um, what we see in our data is that most people become small business owners because they kind of want to unleash the powers of entrepreneurship, both for themselves and for their community. So people become entrepreneurs, at least those on Thumbtack become entrepreneurs, not because they are sort of pushed into it out of economic necessity. Only about 15% said that they became a small business owner because they had no choice. Uh, And so the vast majority become entrepreneurs because they want to earn more, they want to be their own boss, they want to have the flexibility in terms of schedule, they want to do things in an innovative way, and so when you combine all of these factors, uh, becoming becoming an entrepreneur and becoming your own boss really helps unleash this um, this economic empowerment uh, that is is really hard to do if you're working for somebody else, much less a large corporation. And so that's where you see a lot of the innovation um, that's uh, behind many of the uh, the trends that we're seeing in terms of our uh, uh, our economy today.
0: Getting people to respond to surveys, for those who are familiar with survey processes, is notoriously difficult. It's time-consuming, and a lot of people don't respond, and you have 13,000 survey respondents. How did you accomplish that?
1: Great question, and you're absolutely right that getting survey respondents is not necessarily very, very easy. Um, fortunately, our small businesses are really bought into the mission of sharing their policy preferences um, with uh, the right audiences, and so they realize that the sense, the sense of mission behind this survey, and that's what that's what gets them so excited about sharing their thoughts on these issues. Um, since SumTech has, uh, like we mentioned earlier, over 250,000 active small businesses on the site, we have a unique ability to um, unify the voice of the small business owner. If you think about it, there are relatively few organizations or associations out there that can unify small business owners from all walks of life, all parts of the country, in a variety of industries. And Thumbtack has that ability. And as a result of that, we can have a really be a really powerful mouthpiece for these small business owners by pulling them all together. In this case, all 13,000 of them. And and the small business owners on the site realize that. And that's um, What's get like I said that's what gets them so excited about taking our survey. We try to make the survey very very streamlined so it doesn't take off take up too much of their time. But because of the mission and they're um, and they're fully bought into that mission, it's actually not too not too bad to get uh, nice sample sizes behind our survey.
0: What can you tell us about the respondents in terms of say for example geographic location, gender, age, type of business?
1: So our survey respondents are very diverse, both geographically and in terms of their demographic breakdowns. So in terms of gender, it's about 40% female and 60% male. Uh, In terms of ethnic status, um, the majority are white, Uh, 67% identify as white, Um, but we also have uh, 13% African American, 11% who identify as Hispanic. 7% who identify with another race, um, and 2% that identify as as Asian. So this is actually, in terms of ethnicity uh, and racial composition, a more diverse composition than business owners in the general economy. Um, About 75% of small business owners in the economy at large identify as white. So we actually have a, a, a more ethnically inclusive uh, set of business owners on Thumbtack. Um, and in terms of, uh, location, the, the really important point here is that they're coming from all, all 50 states, all parts of the, uh, all parts of the country. Um, the biggest state we have in terms of responses is California. Um, but, um, we have a pretty large sample size from places that are relatively, uh, are not particularly highly populated, like Wyoming, our number one state this year, actually. Um, So it's great to get responses from a place like that where there's actually not even that many small business owners, but it's just as important that we hear from them as it is important that we hear from those in the bigger states like California, New York, and Texas.
0: Are there salient aspects that vary by geographic state beyond, of course, the friendliness aspect, but, for example, that you get a higher response rate from a particular market segment in one area than in another, perhaps because of the geography itself, there is higher representation of, I don't know, computer consultants, just as an example.
1: hmm So we're pretty fortunate that our uh, user base R- reflects uh, small business owners at large pretty well. Um, and that's particularly true when it comes to geographic representation. So Thumbtack basically exists where people live, where there are more people, there are more small businesses, and therefore more more businesses that are on Thumbtack. Um, and and that's true in our survey as well. So um, we mapped about as closely as you could hope for in terms of getting responses from all parts of the country. Um, So like I was just mentioning, we do receive more responses in the higher population states, um, like, for example, Texas, Florida, California, New York. But our responses there actually map relatively closely to what we would expect given the amount of uh, small business owners that actually are operating in those states.
0: We've already talked about the bottom 10 places in -hmm. terms of business friendliness small business friendliness, who is in the middle, who is not really bad but doesn't stand out for being particularly friendly either?
1: There are uh, a lot of cities that kind of meet in the middle. We have a quasi-normal or bell curve distribution, so there's a lot in the middle, a few on the very Negative end of the spectrum, uh, or less successful end of the if in the spectrum, and a few on the very far positive end of the spectrum. Uh, and so there's a lot in the middle that um, do pretty well. Um, just to give you some examples, some of our B-minus cities, which is smack dab in the middle, include uh, Miami, Oakland, Orlando, Richmond, Virginia, and West Palm Beach. Um, some of the cities that received a B, so slightly above average, uh, include Allentown, Pennsylvania. Uh, Boston, Bridgeport, Connecticut, Colorado Springs, Dallas, Texas, Greenville, South Carolina, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Raleigh, and Riverside, California. So these are very diverse cities. Um, there's not a striking geographic pattern behind our results. So there are successful cities on all on both coasts and all regions. Um, it's not purely a southern thing or a Western thing. Uh, Really, cities are succeeding everywhere, and they kind of can pick their own formula to success.
0: Does education play a role, Lucas? In other words, do you see a difference in the response to the surveys in places where you might think that you have a more educated group of respondents I don't know. You mentioned Boston, for example, and that popped to me—that popped in my mind as a a city with many colleges and higher education. uh, That's considered, for many, as a epicenter, if you will, of higher education. Was that relevant at all?
1: Not. It's not something that we've seen. Um, It's certainly something worth exploring in further um, iterations of this survey, but. In the data that we have, there's not a clear correlation between the educational attainment of the business owner and their evaluations of their local and state government's business climate. So it's not to say that more educated respondents are giving better or worse evaluations overall. Uh, having said that, there is a really important component for uh, training and networking programs. So one of the most important things that small business owners want to see out of their, uh, local communities is f- this fostering of a vibrant continuing education program and networking program. Because as you know, it's uh, increasingly important to engage in lifelong learning, whether that's continuing to reinvest in your core competency or core skill set. So if you're a carpenter, you know, maybe it's uh learning about new power tools or uh learning sort of the fine art of woodworking in new ways but just as importantly and perhaps even more importantly is learning uh business skills and that is uh something that local business owners are increasingly looking to um see from their chambers of commerce from their local economic development agencies etc um programs on marketing and um Accounting and uh, managing schedules, those can all be super valuable in terms of generating the right sort of business development skills that are so important to becoming a successful small business owner.
0: Was there any kind of a relationship in terms of quality of life and the friendliness grade?
1: So something that we've seen in the past is is a slight correlation between uh weather and uh in local uh, local business climates so in other words uh, warmer cities and states actually tended to get uh higher ratings in general in years past um this year we didn't necessarily see that as much um we had some really successful um, cities and states from colder parts of the country You know, for example, our number one state this year was Wyoming. Our number one city was Boise, Idaho. Neither of those are particularly known for warm weather climates. Our number two city was Worcester, Mass, also not known for a particularly pleasant climate, at least in terms of temperature. Um, One thing that is really interesting is that um, there is uh, a strong relationship between um, being identified with the uh, party of the leader in power. So if you are, let's say, a Democrat and a Democrat is running the state, you tend to give um, higher evaluations in terms of business climate. And conversely, Republicans, uh, self identified Republicans, uh, give higher evaluations to their mayors if um, there are also Republicans and their governors if they are also Republicans.
0: Did language and by extension, diversity play a role in a country where we have so many immigrants and so many first-generation immigrants? Was that a factor at all?
1: So, interestingly, uh, Hispanic respondents, African-American respondents, and Asian respondents were all more likely to offer high evaluations than white respondents. So, it's uh, pretty interesting that ethnic minorities tended to give higher evaluations to their state governments um, than otherwise similar counterparts who happen to be uh white or Caucasian. Um, and it's actually a pattern that you see elsewhere in other surveys. Um, so if you ask um, just the population at large about their um, satisfaction with policymakers, once you control for the whole set of variables, um, you tend to see um, higher satisfaction rates among ethnic minorities, and we're certainly seeing that here as well.
0: Just to clarify, when you say white and when you say Hispanic, Hispanic not being a race but rather an ethnicity, are the white Hispanics falling under Hispanic or falling under white, and is this a... Self-description, or is this a description that you made?
1: That's a great question, and this is a self-description. So, um, these this is simply uh, what the respondents themselves identify as, uh, and it's it's they can identify uh, as um, Asian, Black, or slash African American, Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish, um, White, uh, or other. So those are the options presented to them.
0: And so other would include groups such as anyone from the Caribbean who may not consider themselves to be African-American and Native Americans and Pacific Islanders and so forth?
1: That's right. Yeah. In an ideal world, we would uh, include separate classifications for each of those uh, populations, but um, our sample size despite being as robust as it is with 13,000 responses it's it's not like the census where you can uh, get really nice uh, sample sizes for all those uh, specific classifications
0: what is the lesson if you will or perhaps i should say what are the lessons what are the takeaways when you look at this year's survey and contrast to last year's and or perhaps the previous years?
1: So there are two lessons that come out of this year's survey results for policymakers. The first is that you can improve, and the second is that uh, you need to focus on the backbone of your local economy, which, as I was saying earlier, is is truly small businesses. So I can unpack that for you. And when I say you can improve, it's actually – really powerful to see cities and states change in terms of their results year over year. So our number two city this year was is Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, They received an A-plus grade because they had some of the highest possible evaluations um, of their local business climate from the small business owners that reside there. That's very different than they received last year. Um, In 2016, Worcester, Mass., received a D-plus for small business friendliness. And so, credit to them because they incorporated this feedback, really went on a listening tour of the small business community, and made some really substantive changes to the business environment there. And the results this year reflect that commitment. Um, and so, it's it should be evident to um, local policymakers in places that didn't necessarily receive a high marks this year that you can actually turn things around in a really quick way. It's just Uh, a pretty simple two-step process. Actually listen to your constituents in the small business community and then make the changes that that they need to successfully uh, start and run and grow their small businesses. Um, And then the other thing is, uh, like I was saying, if you think about it, what small businesses need is not necessarily the same as these big businesses that are out there. It's Small businesses want a very easy-to-understand business climate. They don't have armies of accountants and lawyers working for them that can help understand all these tax loopholes and um, complex regulations. Uh, they're working for themselves, and they need to uh, be able to understand the rules of the road, even if they're not a lawyer or an accountant. Uh, and that's different from big, big businesses. Amazon and GE and Others like them have hundreds of lawyers and accountants working for them, and uh, when things are particularly complex, they actually like that because that's an advantage for them over their smaller counterparts. So really the lesson for policymakers is simplification is the name of the game.
0: Clearly, municipalities, cities, states looking to increase small business Growth and development would be interested in your findings. Is this also relevant for small businesses or would-be small businesses? People who are considering opening a business and maybe want to know where they should go. Is this information helpful to them?
1: I certainly think so. One of the one of the goals of this project uh, is to inform policymakers about what's going well in their communities and what is not. But it's also to inform uh, current and aspiring entrepreneurs about where are the best places to actually start and grow a small business. And so for people who are thinking about um, starting their own small business and have some geographic mobility or flexibility, uh, I would encourage them to think about moving to a climate that is not only strong in terms of uh, the local economy, but also very friendly in terms of the business climate uh, and the policy environment there. Because if you go somewhere where the economy is very robust, but the rules of the road are particularly challenging, then it's going to be hard to actually get off the ground, uh, unless you do have those advantages of a big business, like I said, with working with lots of accountants and tax lawyers and what have you. So um, I would definitely encourage listeners out there that are thinking about where to open a small business to um, incorporate this into their decision-making.
0: When they drill down, so they say that they do what I'm doing and they go to your website and that's thumbtack.com slash survey. That's right. And then they can drill by year from 2012 to 2017 and then also by state and by city. So I'm just – because I'm here, I'm looking at the Florida page, and what I see are the rankings by overall friendliness, ease of starting a business, ease of hiring, and down the line all the way to the bottom, government websites. And each one has a grade. In the case of Florida, the lowest grade is a B, a B sorry, and all the highest one is an A+. Mm-hmm. How can a small business use that information to make a decision?
1: So they need to think about the policy issues that are most important to their business and their industry. So in the case of Florida, if you are a business that is uh, disproportionately impacted by, let's say, health and safety rules, um, this is particularly true if you are in the food business, um, as you know, restaurants and those in the food service industry have to deal with a whole number of uh, health and safety rules around um, around food, as is appropriate. Uh, and Florida got particularly high marks here. So somebody thinking about opening up a restaurant, a food truck, a catering business, a personal chef business, they actually should be really encouraged by Florida's results here. And Florida did a little bit less successfully on something, on some of the other uh, dimensions, uh, like for example training and networking programs they only received a B on. But if, if you're somebody who's already very comfortable with your skill set, uh, both in terms of the actual profession or occupation that you have, then also in terms of your business development skills, then maybe you don't need as many uh, training or networking programs, so that lower grade is actually not something to be concerned about. So everybody's going to be a little bit different in terms of what their top priorities are, Um, but it's knowing about what matters to you and your business and then making sure you're operating a a business or going to operate a business where uh, there are uh, sort of a a better record of achievement. Um, And if you, let's say you really care about um, something like health and safety rules in your state or city, is known to be particularly challenging when it comes to that, then maybe it's really worth thinking about moving or exploring another community elsewhere.
0: You can drill down to a greater level of detail from what I mentioned earlier, because you can go by city so that, because of course the state level is pretty large. You need to decide as a small business what county and what city to set up shop in are all is the data across the board, I'm looking at Florida and there's a lot of listings. Mm-hmm. Is the data at all of these cities equally relevant? Are you better off looking at a granular level or should you look more so at the at a bigger picture as a small business? What would you recommend?
1: My advice is to start with the big picture Think about the overall business climate and where cities are succeeding or where are the successful cities, um, especially in your region or in your state. Um, and then kind of from there, once you get a sense of who's generally succeeding and, and who's not doing as, as well or who has room for improvement, then zone in on the specific dimensions that are really important to you and your business. And uh, that's, that sort of two-step process can help ensure that as a small business owner you are getting the right information when you're thinking about where to go with your with your potential business uh, or where to expand to uh, because sometimes it's thinking about where to open a second branch potentially and um, if you're going to a place where let's say hiring new employees is particularly easy then that makes that expansion even easier than it would otherwise be so uh, that's, that's sort of my advice.
0: And of course it does make a difference when you look in greater detail. I'm taking a look at the West Palm Beach page of the survey findings and the ratings, the grades, are different from what the overall state grades were because here the highest grade is an A whereas in Florida the highest grade was an A plus and the lowest grade is a C plus and there were no C's in the Florida survey. So businesses beware to pay close attention, right?
1: Exactly right. Just because your state is doing well uh, overall or on a particular dimension doesn't mean <clears throat> doesn't mean that your local city is, is also succeeding on that. And that's because um, they're creating their own sets of rules. So if uh, Florida's websites, for example, make it really easy to pay um, taxes online, that's great. But West Palm Beach might have their own set of um, tax requirements for small businesses and if you can't do that online, then that's a very frustrating thing. And so you have to think about all three levels of government, federal, state, and local.
0: Tell us a little bit more. Uh, maybe we, we can go by degrees of the top ten. So I know we've talked about them on and off, but what are the top ten cities in terms of small business friendliness from your from this year's survey findings.
1: The number one city in America this year is Boise, Idaho. Boise received um, the highest overall valuations from small business owners this year. Um, the number two city was is Worcester, Mass. Like I said, uh, it received an A-plus this year after receiving a D-plus last year. So they're the, they're the second overall city and also the most improved city uh, this year. Uh, and then rounding out the top five are San Antonio, Texas, Austin, Texas, and Grand Rapids, Michigan. And then six through ten are as follows, Memphis, Tennessee, Louisville, Kentucky, Lawrence, Massachusetts, Salt Lake City, and Houston, Texas.
0: What would you say, if anything, that these cities share in common?
1: The most important factor that unifies these success stories is that all of them have demonstrated a commitment to uh, listening to small business owners in their communities. Um, we heard time and time again from respondents in these top 10 cities that they felt like they were, um, they were being heard by their local mayors and county officials uh, when it comes to things like regulation, um, tax policy, uh, zoning issues, uh, the things that are really bread and butter issues for these small businesses. They just felt like they had a voice at the table in a really meaningful way. Um, and all of these communities are a little bit different in terms of what they prioritize. Um, so for Boise, for example, uh, a top priority was labor and hiring regulations and it received an A-plus on that, and that helped them receive an A-plus grade overall. Um, but if you look at other places, um, other cities had different top policy issues, um, like, for example, um, San Antonio, Texas, A top priority there was training programs. Um, uh, San Antonio had one of the most successful training and networking programs in the country, and that helped them uh, receive an A-plus grade there.
0: What about places like the Virgin Islands, Guam, Puerto Rico? Do they appear anywhere in your findings? Do they fall maybe under a state, or um, is it just too much.
1: So Thumbtack does uh, operate in uh, U.S. territories, including Puerto Rico and Guam. Uh, having said that, for this particular survey, we don't include responses from the territories, um, and that's simply because we don't get a large enough sample size to have uh, a statistically meaningful or accurate uh, interpretation of the results there. So unfortunately, we weren't able to assign grades for, for the territories this year.
0: Taking a look at Hawaii, since Honolulu was at the bottom of the list, in other words, the least friendly in all of the cities from your findings, I thought, well, I wonder if it's just Honolulu or if it's Hawaii in general as a state. And the score overall is not very nice. Uh, is this been more or less the case in past surveys, or is there something extraordinary taking place in Hawaii?
1: Well, Hawaii has an uphill battle just in terms of its cost of living. And that's not necessarily the fault of any local or state uh, official there. But it's also just making things harder than it otherwise would be by having what's seen as a very uh, cumbersome or complex regulatory environment. So Hawaii um, ranked 80th out of 80 on the friendliness of its business regulations. And when it scored so well on that dimension, um, it really sank all of the the other scores. Um, And that's that's sort of what led to its uh, its bottom ranking this year. So for Hawaii to turn things around, it really needs to prioritize the simplification of its uh, business licensing regulations, its labor regulations, uh, and its zoning regulations.
0: What suggestions would you share with our listeners, Lucas, on the regulator side, on the side of the states, municipalities, cities, who are in a position to do something about making their climate more business-friendly? What, I don't know, three recommendations would you share with them overall?
1: Three things come to mind uh, on this front. Uh, First, it's... Simplify regulations. I've said this multiple times in our conversation, but it really can't be emphasized enough. Um, second, it's invest in modernizing government websites. And third, it's creating a robust set of training and networking programs. And so what is really important for policymakers to think about is what are the biggest deterrence to starting a small business. Those are regulations. That's why they need to simplify them as much as possible, just so it's as easy to understand how to get a business off the ground as possible. And when it comes to modernizing government websites, um, entrepreneurs and small business owners are increasingly using technology to grow their business. They're using thumbtack to find customers. They're using software like Intuit to pay their taxes. uh, And they want to be able to use government websites to make sure they can comply with uh, regulations, learn more about their business, their communities, um, and just in, in really interact with the government in a very fluid online way. They don't have to go down to city hall to do things like get their business license, let's say. Uh, and then the and the other thing I mentioned is just creating a robust set of training programs. That's particularly important since being a small business owner is uh, at the same time, very empowering and very challenging. And one of the best ways that small business owners can overcome the challenge of being uh, of running their own small business is to learn from others that are in their shoes. And that helps. Um, the best way to help with that is creating this really rich set of training and networking programs. When you can interact on a regular basis with other small business owners in a community, that's an invaluable resource. And if local governments can help facilitate that process, they really help boost. Um, entrepreneurs in their communities.
0: You've mentioned interacting with government and ease of website use, I believe, uh, multiple times. And one of the thoughts that comes to mind, of course, is the danger of Being online and the danger of hackers, which has become not a whether it's going to happen, but how soon. And, of course, small businesses are less well-equipped, I assume, than perhaps some of the larger businesses who have dedicated teams looking after their online and their digital safety. What, if any, findings do you have in your surveys that address this?
1: First of all, cybersecurity, I agree, is a huge issue, both for citizens, but also for businesses of all stripes, and um, especially for small businesses. Um, but at the same time, it's not a winning strategy, in my opinion, to stay offline. As a business owner in the 21st century, it really pays dividends to invest in your online presence, whether that's through uh Marketing yourself online, interacting with customers or potential customers online, um, maybe it's uh, doing some back office task online. It doesn't really matter, but your productivity will certainly be enhanced if you're using more online technologies and tools. And so if you're going to be a successful small business owner, it's going to be really challenging to do that without engaging in online tools in a meaningful way. And that's also true when it comes to uh, the government. It's sim- simply much more uh, efficient to uh, do things like pay your business taxes online, acquire your uh, annual um, business license online. Uh, the, all of those things can take hours, not just minutes, if you're going in person to do them, um, but it can it can be literally seconds if you do them online. And that productivity uh, that productivity enhancement just can't be understated.
0: What suggestions, what tips would you share with our listeners who are in the small business end of things? In what ways can they best take advantage of these survey findings?
1: My advice to small businesses that are out there is, uh, is twofold. First, it's really try to embrace your local small business community. That's one of the most important resources that you you can take advantage of as a small business owner, interacting with others that are like you, whether or not they're in the same industry. Just having um, a sounding board for what it's like to start and run a small business can be invaluable. And for those that completed our survey that have had that experience where they have this really vibrant community of small business owners around them, that's been a, a tremendous re, a tremendous resource for them. And so for those that are out there, I encourage them to look for that resource in their own community. And if it's not there, try to create it themselves. Uh, and then the second recommendation I have uh, for small business owners that are listening is to think about where they want to locate their business. Um, it's it's really important to to think about locating a business in a place that prioritizes small businesses. And if you're in a community in which you don't think that's happening or uh, our survey suggests it's not happening based on what others are telling us, then maybe it's time to think about uh, relocating to uh, another nearby town or or city where small businesses are really prioritized um, by the local government.
0: Thank you, Lucas, for joining us from San Francisco, California.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really, really fun chatting with you today.
0: Thank you. And to our audience, thank you for listening to Lucas Puente, economist at Thumbtack, who discussed the 2017 Thumbtack Small Business Friendliness Survey. Please share your suggestions, questions, and ideas by leaving a comment on the hispanicnpr.com website. If you or someone you know would like to be on the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.